welcome to episode 16 of Anatomy of Tone. In this week's podcast, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to interview a really incredible multi-instrumentalist and composer named Robbie Mangano. I've known Robbie for a number of years and I've always really enjoyed his creativity, his musicianship, and his willingness to always be himself, which I think is very admirable in a world where there's a struggle all the time to present yourself as something bigger or different than you are. Now, Robbie has done a lot of really interesting gigs over the years. He's played with Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. He's played with Sean Lennon. He's played with Ricky Lee Jones. He's played with Band from Utopia, which includes a lot of alumni from Frank Zappa's band. He's also contributed transcriptions to Guitar World magazine, where he's transcribed like ACDC, Frank Zappa, a number of different artists. Robbie is a bassist, a guitarist, keyboardist, vocalist, composer. He has a lot of experience in the music world and has a lot of insight about how he's approached things or just the reality of, of working in the industry, as well as talks about his origins in music and how he got started in his path. It's always really cool to hear everybody's evolution, how they got started and how they've progressed through their career. And that's what this interview is going to entail. So I'm not going to talk a lot right now because it's a fairly in-depth interview. just want to get right to it. But I will mention that you can go to Robbie Mangano. It's R-O-B-B-I-E-M-A-N-G-A-N-O.com. And there you can find Robbie's original music and more about him and the different services he offers. Robbie also offers transcriptions and guitar lessons as well as available for session work and gigs. So check him out and let's jump right in. I thought we would start with uh, talking about when you first started, like you started with the bass. Yeah, officially started with the bass, but before that I had piano, a little stunt stint with piano. Oh, so you start piano was your first instrument. Yeah, I uh, mean, but it wasn't like I I took it for a very long time. I, I took it for a little short spat, like probably when I was like six or something, because my sister was doing it and oh, okay. possibly my brother. And so we all kind of went and we were all interested and they decided like, well, we'll give him a lesson too. What kind of music were you introduced to when your lessons was a classical based or? Yeah, it was just your basic beginner's piano stuff like when from Mary had a little lamb to like you know up a little bit of something else the hot cross bun stuff you know what mm -hmm. I mean yeah so just that's all I remember is just I kind of liked I liked it but for some reason the whole family kind of stopped going there and stuff like that but it, it was just like a break so about maybe two three years later I got interested in the bass what led you to the base? What was that? Uh, it was my um, it was my sister's boyfriend at the time. My sister Gina's boyfriend. So he his name is George, and he still plays bass. Uh, um, so he, uh, my sister, like had a boyfriend. She was like fourteen or so, and I was like nine, and uh, we were watching MTV, and she was like. That's that's what George plays, and it was like it was like Motley Crue video. <laughs> it was looks that kill. Oh yeah, and it was uh -huh. like Nikki Six. Yeah, and I thought it was cool. I was like, wow, he he plays that. You know, like I thought that was like cool because I actually met him and I thought he was cool. So he was a nice guy, and I I actually went over to his place once, and he put the bass in my lap, and he 
just had me like just do an eighth note rhythm, dun 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 dun, like first and second finger, you know, uh-huh. and hold the fifth fret, and I was like, I was like, I got it, quit pretty quick, you know. I guess I had a little musicality to myself, like, mm-hmm. and so I felt like it was fun, and then I just <clears throat> went home and I took took out my dad had a had a classical guitar in the closet that he kept in our bedroom closet, me and my brother's bedroom closet, mm-hmm. and I took that out and I started to try what he showed me and then I just wanted bass lessons I wanted to get a bass and all that stuff and they they finally gave me lessons uh for my birthday when I was 10 oh that's cool and yeah. so uh your introduction to uh, the bass through your sister's boyfriend was that also like the first time you were introduced to like Motley Crue and and like hair metal and stuff like that or? uh yeah I believe so yeah I think that was all kind of new at that time so that would have been like well, it would have been like 84. So metal was like, I saw the closest thing I saw to metal was kind of like at that point was maybe Van Halen or something. If I was watching MTV, it was not a lot of metal at that point. A couple of years later, more and more. Right. Yeah. It wasn't popularized. Yet, yeah. So we weren't seeing it on a, on a regular basis yet until probably like, what, like 85 or 86 is yeah. when it blew up. My right? sister was into it. She was into metal. She actually had a poster of Randy Rhodes in her, you know, teenage girl room. And I remember being like, you know, there's a guitar. So I started getting really interested in like guitars, somebody holding a guitar. So I would look at that and be like, who's that? You know, and I'd find out. So Ozzy was like right there and there too. So I was hearing, I was hearing stuff like Ozzy at that point. What was your first bass teacher like? What, what, sort of music was were they coming from and what was the type of how were the lessons laid out oh it was so great this guy named don reagan and he is um still plays but he was actually a guitarist and bassist which you know i later became a guitarist and bassist but at first i was bass uh through him and he was great i walked in uh and he just started showing me stuff and showing me little parts of songs and had me he was really adamant about reading but he wasn't that hard on me at first um but i would bring him songs to learn so the first beginning was all and i would bring him like iron maiden and all these stuff you know he'd listen to the tape and then he'd start writing it down and then i'd go home and i'd be so excited i'd like learn it all so i think i was like a good student probably because i practiced because that's all i I loved it, you know. I right, like, you had oh the bug, God. right? And yeah. I, I was just playing along with the albums and then figuring stuff out on my own. And then at one point, he asked me to start figuring stuff out on my own. And I was already kind of doing that. And I would bring in stuff. And sooner or later, he was just putting charts in front of me. And he came from... Another thing about him was he had a, a big, giant poster of Frank Zappa in his room. So I'm 10, and there's a giant poster of Frank Zappa and I was and he looked weird and I was like like who's that <laughs> who's that mm-hmm. it's like the chic your booty album cover <laughs> <laughs> right right and uh so I uh he told me he's like that's Frank Zappa he's a musical genius you know and I was like that's interesting but I, I didn't know anything about Zappa until later but he had me learn like peaches and regalia on the bass probably when I was like 12 mm-hmm. I found that very hard to, to do because of the rhythms you know I was coming from like eighth note 16th note galloping bass line dun, 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 dun. 
and they had that one section in that song. Do 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 do. was like, yeah, and two years into playing bass too. I mean, that's pretty. I was just like, what is this? And and I, I'm from Newark, New Jersey, so it's like a melting pot of like Italians and Puerto Ricans and like things. So I thought it was like Puerto Rican music. <laughs> I have that sounds like Puerto Rican music to me. But, you know, it's probably because of the horns, and that's the only time I ever. Mm. But, mm. Um, yeah, so that's the, the teaching. I went with him for about five years. Summer's off, but, um, and uh, he kind of graduated me from, you know, taking lessons from him. And I was kind of, like, a little bummed, but he had me studying Jocko, and, like, he would make me copies of videotapes, and I got the Jocko videotape from him. Like he dubbed it for me with the sheet music that came with it. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, now you can see that on YouTube, no problem. But so I just kind of studied all that and I got into that kind of thing. And um, yeah, he kind of said like, I, I think there's nothing else I could show you. And I was a little bummed because I was like, because I loved lessons. And I said to him like, well, maybe I could play guitar. Maybe I can come back next week and we'll do guitar. And um, so I did like one lesson with guitar, but then just didn't do it. He was like, you're good. You know what you're doing. Because I was already playing my brother's guitar. My brother was also taking lessons with him oh, okay, at the same so, yeah. time, but he was taking guitar. So I would come home and we, me and my brother would play all day because we shared the same room and we would just play. Uh, was it your brother's in the similar music as well? So it was Yeah, like so we were just... My brother was funny because he's like a lead guitar player guy. He loves soloing. And uh, and I was the bassist and I had to back him up. And he was a little older than me. So he had that like older brother sort of thing where like he's yeah. like, you know, like kind of telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And so he'd be like, play an A, you know. And then, so he'd be like just ripping for 20 minutes. And I'd be like backing him up, making my own rhythm, you know, basically having coming up with bad habits like slapping the strings for a snare drum doom doom, doom, doom. oh yeah uh-huh <laughs> once i started recording i was like uh, man, like that I was useless do, now i, now I, I that can't program. do that anymore right yeah but i was doing all that just like kind of keeping rhythm but you know after a while it was funny because we had like brotherly quarrels all day long you know always fighting you know that kind of thing and I would like change keys on him, like, you know. Intentionally. Yeah, like, intentionally, <laughs> like, you know, like, and he'd be like, go back day, go back day. <laughs> or like, get frustrated. I ain't playing it no more. But I think that like kind of made me want to play guitar in a way. It was like, you know. To boss the bassist around? <laughs> yeah. <to> boss. <laughs> no, but, um, but like. I just wanted, I, it was a freeing thing when I started to play guitar and play leads. Like, I was like, wow, I, I don't have to back anybody up. I could do something else, like soar on top, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, like, exciting to me to play guitar and do stuff that way. What age and, did you say you started playing guitar? It was Well, as soon as I played bass and my brother got a guitar a few months later. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so that was close to the same time. Yeah, so... Also. There's one thing that's why that it was pretty funny. It was like, it was Christmas time, and it was like, oh, what sh what should you get your brother? You know, my mother's asking me, and I was like, oh, I know, you get him the Ozzy songbook, you know. 
and so with the tablature in it. And so my mom got it for like maybe like three weeks before Christmas, and I knew where she hid it and stuff. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, my brother would be out of, out of the house, and I'd like steal his book, <laughs> learning like the songs from it and stuff. And then when my brother got it, like I already kind of like knew, you knew all the material. <laughs> <laughs> but like the thing with my brother was funny, like like I wasn't allowed to play his guitar like when he was gone. <laughs> That's such a older brother thing. It yeah. is. He's like, don't touch my guitar. You know. Yeah. And of course you touched his guitar of course, as soon as he like, left, yeah. Yeah, so I'd be like, I don't know, like, you know, figure some stuff out. But, you know, but he would come home. I'd hear him come up the steps, you know. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, God, I got to put his guitar back. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you know, there's been a couple of occasions where I'd break a string. And I'd be like, oh, no, what am I going to do? He's going to know. You touched my guitar. You broke a string. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and he would just kind of be like, you got to ask me first, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. Which if he did, he'd probably be like, no, you can't. Who knows? Right? I don't think I really ever asked. You never asked. gave him the opportunity. To no, I don't think I ever asked. <laughs> I would just see it and I'd be like, I'm plugging it in, you know. What was the process of your teaching teacher teaching you how to read music? So, so you started with the bass clef, right? Yeah. And was it systematically through like a Mel Bay book or something? Or No. Um, you know, it was really cool. He, he would write. Um, like the number four for the for the E string, right? And and uh, underneath it would be an A, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'd have to find out like where the A is on the fourth string. So so if he wrote out a song, it would be like that. It would say A B C D b c g you know mm -hmm. but, but with the numbers giving you hint yeah, of what string and then, is yeah, on, yeah and so i i learned how the fretboard that way um as far as like reading music it started to get hairy like that was really hard for me like you know because i felt like proficient i was on a roll i was able to read his charts with the numbers and the letters that way i figured out where on the neck everything was mm -hmm. but then he would just bring in like kind of simple scale stuff and it was like hard for me to kind of, you know, when you you can already play and then you got to like learn some fundamental thing and you're like, oh, I right. to slow down. I'm I'm a beginner again, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was hard for me because I didn't want to do it, you know. Was it the rhythms or recognizing the pitches on the the staff? Uh, staff? It was the rhythms mostly. I actually, you know, I would go home. And he, the one thing that he did that I really got my reading better. But my reading really still sucked. Was uh, the Bach inventions? Uh, yeah. So we'd take like a invention number four was the first one, and he would play the guitar part, and I had to play the bass, you know, the left hand. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really cool because you could hear the harmony, and it sounded like so amazing, you know, when it was all done. But like I had to go home and like read that and just figure it all out, right. which was super slow for me, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so my reading really wasn't that great. It was basically reading charts. I think my reading got better just from, uh, writing. Once I got to college, I started to write mm -hmm. stuff down all the time. Mm -hmm. I tried to do it from my head to straight to paper. And I just kind of got good at that. And then, um, and then just reading now, um, is just because of, uh, repetition from doing it a lot looking back like how do you feel uh getting 
gaining some of those skills when you were younger, like learning how to read music and stuff helped you progress? Do you see it as being like something that um, gave you a little bit more, I don't know if stability is the right word, but there was a bit of a foundation there that allowed you to keep building on faster than if you didn't have it? Or did that take years later to connect that? Or took me years later to, to kind of, uh, yeah, like actually, I was never a reader unless I had to, you know. I played in a couple, uh, like sort of like not on Broadway, but Broadway shows like Joseph and the Technicolor Raincoat and like um, Godspell uh, at the local church um, that I, I went to school at. And uh, they had these plays. So I, when I was like in eighth and ninth grade, I did the bass for these plays and they gave me the whole book, you know. So I had to read. But mostly I would be like relying on my ear, you know, like, let me listen to the tape and let's look along with the music. Mm -hmm. So I think I did cheat around reading for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I was ever really good at it until, um, until recently when people mm -hmm. are like throwing charts in, at me and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, I better, I kind of did a lot of that um, sight reading, some of those sight reading books. And, um, to get good at it, uh, just taking the real book and just looking at all the melodies and just going, just going through them. Or forcing yourself to read something you've never read before. Yeah, every day. all these songs you never heard, and uh -huh. yeah, that's the way. Mm -hmm. And so you played in some Broadway presentations around your community. Did you have like, did you join any bands? Like, did you and your brother mm -hmm. ever have a band, or what was happening yeah. before you went to college? So um, when I was ten. Uh, I went over to my friend Danny Cario's house, right, and for his birthday. And uh, his brother, his older brother, was about fourteen when I was ten or something. And he, they had a band. He was the drummer, and you know the other guitarist. They had a guitarist and a singer, and they were like, and I, they had a bass down there, and I um, was playing it, and. They were like, wow, this kid can play bass. And I was 10 and they're 14. It's like a big age difference, 14 and 10 back then. Yeah. Like they were tall and stuff, you know? And um, and so they asked me like, you want to be in our band? And, uh, and I was like, yeah. And so next thing I know, I swear, I don't remember how this happened. They're rehearsing in our garage. Like the whole band moved all their equipment in my family's garage in the backyard. And so we had rehearsal every day after school, like from age 10, I was 10 years old and in this band and, and uh, in fourth grade, I played the talent show with them and everything. We played like Paranoid by Sabbath. We played um, uh, Iron Man by Sabbath and we played uh, our own original song, which was, I don't know, it was about war or something because we're like Iron Maiden, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we had our own original song and, um, yeah, so I started playing in band right away. And they were like teaching me stuff like, oh, do you know how to play Smoke on the Water? And I'd be like, no, and they, just do this, you know? And so we were just playing songs. I remember there was this guy, a local guy that was this Spanish guy and he played guitar and he was coming over. He heard, must've heard us in the garage. <laughs> and so he came, came over and he was like showing us how to play like Hotel California. <laughs> Oh, he was a musician. Okay. Yeah, he was a musician. Okay, he was, he was, like was a... playing guitar and singing and stuff. We're like, oh. this is, guy's good, you know? That's but cool. like, yeah, so that was happening in my garage. My brother wasn't in the band, but then that band like broke up. I don't know 
what happened, but then it was me and that drummer and my brother in a band, and we were playing together and writing songs. Me and my brother started writing songs. Uh-huh. Riffs, basically, not songs. We didn't do lyrics and everything. Um, so we were just doing that for a while, and then my, my sister and this, this <laughs> I shouldn't even talk about it. It's funny. But my sister and uh, and the drummer were going out, you know, and uh, they split up. So my dad was like, that's it. <laughs> You're not in the band. <laughs> Your dad got him booted from the band. My dad booted us out of the band. Like, you're not playing with him anymore. <laughs> and so we were like, oh, man. But... um. So that was kind of That's you introduced the politics of bands. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was like, boom, he was like the manager. I don't know what he was, the record label or something. <laughs> right? I don't know, something. He just... <laughs> but uh, he... Yeah, so that was it. But we started playing, like, um, me and my brother all the time. But my dad started taking us to a blues bar, like, when I'm, like, 13 or something, you know. So, so a couple of years later... We were every Sunday, every Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesdays, there was an open jam, blues jam. And it was just like everybody from from North Jersey who, who played blues and like, it was like a whole band there, like a house band. Mm -hmm. And I just started playing like, and all these older guys were just like, this kid's good, like, want to play with me? Like, you know, we're going to do these songs. And I started meeting people that way, and me and my brother met some people and we started playing gigs. Were you playing guitar? Or I was bass playing bass, or? only bass. bass. Uh -huh. I was only bass anywhere until college. Um, so, so yeah, we play, we played kinds of all kinds of things like Narcotics Anonymous, like like benefits and stuff uh -huh. like that. Like guys are going to bars and playing, you know. That's cool. Your dad had that foresight, though. Like, yeah, he loved it. You, know, you guys are good at this. Like, you obviously have an interest in it. Mm -hmm. So why don't I? get you around some people that have more experience yes. and, and expose you to the... Yeah, to my it. dad was great like that because he, he was just into music, you know, but he wasn't a player. He wanted to be a player, but he just couldn't get those chords down. He was trying to play like Neil Diamond songs and stuff like, I can't get my fingers around this C chord, you know? Yeah. So, but he was so into it. Like he would always say to me, like, if I was always talking about music, I'd be like, dad, like, Listen to this. The guitar player is so good, you know. And like, what makes him so good? You know, he would always ask me, like, "Well, what's good about him?" You know, like. Yeah. So I'd have to kind of explain, and like, and, but he would get into it, and he got into all the kind of music I was into. Oh yeah. So he was like way into it. He loved going to music stores. He loved amps and stereo stuff. He was kind of electronics guy, ah. computer guy too. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool um, for him to bring us around like that. For took sure. Us, took us to concerts, you know, and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the exposure to it and yeah. Imagine this, that experience mm -hmm. left a, a mark like in, in. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a crazy time playing all those blues bars and stuff. And in that time, did you also join in any other bands or that was kind of your main focus was going around and jamming with people and playing with um, the people that you met There at the was jam? a time where that was going on. So like probably from like 13 to like 15, I was doing the, going to these things every Wednesday and playing from like nine at night till midnight or something. And um, me and my brother both. So we'd go up there and we'd play some stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, get get a drummer. You know, 
and he'd play with us. And then we started playing like just over at people's houses. We did like the talent shows at school, but no real band kind of thing. So what happened at 15 was when I started to, um, when I stopped taking lessons from my teacher, he was, he was in a wedding band, a working wedding band. And he asked me when I was a sophomore in high school if I would want to try to sit in on a mm -hmm. thing. So he started, he was actually prepping me, making me learn all this like Billy Oceans, like, you know, get out of my dreams into my car. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. You know, like, I was like, why? You know, yeah. I'm sitting there in lessons going like. Yeah, but he was thinking ahead. Yeah, he was like, he was like you know, here's I'm going to a sub. I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, something like that. Like, here's a chart. This is what it's like, you know, like, and I'm yeah. like having a hard time reading all this stuff. Uh -huh. Some of it was really like lame to me, you know, like ballads. And I'm just like, why, you know? Yeah. And I kind of hated it, but you know, got into the wedding band basically. Uh -huh. So then I was working from age 16. I was playing like pretty much two days, two dates a weekend. Wow. So Saturday and Sunday, it was like weddings. And I did that. For like five years. Wow. Were you driving at this point? Well, you were 15. No, so I wasn't driving. So I was, I, I was getting picked. I was getting dropped off at my teacher's house by my parents. And then he would drive. Or I'd have to get driven to like the drummer's house or. You, you had know. your bass rig and you were lugging. You were, you were full in as a musician. Yeah, at this I was point, full in. I had, I, you know, I made some money. I actually made some money to buy like, you know, my, my bass rig. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I was full in doing these weddings, but I was also playing in my teacher's uh, instrumental fusion band. Uh -huh. And that's when I kind of got introduced to New York City because uh, we started going, we would rehearse in New York. Um, and and so, so at 16, I was in three bands all of a sudden. There uh -huh. was another band that was crazy. It was like Guitar World Magazine put together a band of teenagers. And we... <laughs> I was called because I went to this music camp and they called, Guitar World called this music camp in Connecticut that I went to. It's called the National Guitar Summer Workshop. Ever hear of it? No. Um, I also, I went to a music camp myself when I was uh -huh. young. It wasn't the same one, but I, 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 it was a great experience for me um, being exposed there. But I haven't heard that much. So was it bass player and guitar players? They said guitar, but it was... No, it was, it was bass players, guitar players. Yeah, mainly. Uh-huh. And so you'd go there with your, and you'd have a roommate and you'd have like a little amp they'd give you and you'd go to classes all day and at night jam with friends or do whatever you want. And it was great. It was really cool. They'd have all these teachers from New York that were coming there and, you know, teaching through this whole summer, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but Guitar World Magazine used to have these things at the end of the, magazine like a little page with like if you sent in your tape and they thought it was good they would do a little feature on you oh yeah i remember that so there's this um this uh kid named kevin rudolph um and he he sent in his tape and they loved it and they were like this kid's gotta have a band he's like 15 years old and so they called and they found the drummer but then they called this um they they called this National Guitar Summer Workshop school that I went to and they recommended me. Like, call Robbie, like mm -hmm. this bass player. He lives in New Jersey. 
So they called him. I got a phone call from the guys at Guitar Center. I mean, Guitar World. And uh, they were like, would you be interested in, you know, we heard you were good. Would you be interested in auditioning? So then I was going to New York like maybe three times a, a week, three or four times a week after school to rehearse with my teacher's fusion band mm -hmm. <laughs> and also play in this Guitar World band and write songs and stuff like that. So that lasted, the Guitar World band lasted a year before it kind of imploded. Oh, it made it a full year. It wasn't just like a one-off gig. No, it was, it, was, like, it was like rehearse. We had all these songs. We had like developed songs. We did like a showcase at SIR. Oh. Um, yeah. And the wonderful Steve Stevens showed up. Really? To our showcase, yeah. It was all a bunch of people, record industry people and okay. stuff. Uh -huh. I guess they were trying to do like a Menudo or something. Right, Menudo for, for like, guitars. For yeah. like a metal. Now, this was yeah. a time of like Living Color was out and it was like, that was the in in stuff. Yeah. You know, so like if you, we kind of sounded like that hard rock kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we were just a little complicated too, probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that was an interesting part. Now it's funny because I'm, I'm in touch with both the drummer and the, and Kevin, the guitarist, the drummer's name is Matt Slutsky. He's, He's a drummer in LA, professional. Same thing with Kevin. Oh, so uh -huh. like, yeah. So everybody went on to have professional careers. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So it's really cool to, because we were 16, you know? Yeah. And we were being watched by dudes in their 30s, you know, telling us, oh, that sounds good. Now try this, you know? Sure. And we were just like, didn't know what we're, now we can talk about it. Like, isn't that crazy? Right. Yeah, you know? at the time, and you're 16. I mean, there's part of you that just doesn't want to hear that from somebody else because you want to find your own way and also just the chaos of... Yeah, I was just excited. I was, like, you know, taking the train by myself. Like, after a while, my mom would, like, bring me after school. Yeah. Like, take the train, like, to Penn Station. And it was right in the music building on 30th uh, Street. Oh, yeah. So just walk a block and go up. Yeah. And uh, we were just doing that all the time. Imagine it felt really important, right? Because I mean, the contrast yeah. to where you're coming from and you have this regular thing that you're coming into New York to do. Yes, right? and, and that was so cool because once my mom was like, okay, you're 16, you can go to New York. I was like, oh my God, I could take the subway in Newark to Penn Station in Newark, uh -huh. take the train. I knew how to do it, you know? Yeah. So I felt so cool, you know? I was like with my bass, like, like like right, imagine not a school. lot of people in your class doing that, right? No, so nobody in my right. class knew anything about this. Right. Like, I was actually, that year, I had transferred to a whole new high school, so I knew, like, I was friends with, like, three people. And I was basically busy. I was just, like, weddings on the weekends, rehearsals in the city. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of nuts. And so that Guitar World band stopped uh, in the summer of my sophomore year. And, but the other bands kept going, the wedding band and the fusion band, which was like writing tunes. Right. And just blasting out like super complicated music, instrumental music, keyboards, bass, and guitar and drums. My teacher was on guitar. Mm -hmm. so. Right, so this entered the era, of, obviously at that age where you were playing complex music, dealing with odd time signatures yeah. and right. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that was, uh, that you're talking about 1990 to like, uh, you know, I'm 15 in 1990. And then, so, uh, my last year of high school is 94, 93. Mm -hmm. And that's like, yeah, that's like 
Pearl Jam and and like Nirvana is like yeah, big in '93. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- actually, that stuff became mainstream. Like Nirvana became mainstream, and I was always kind of like a funny thing because I was like a long-haired kid who played instruments, but it wasn't important. Like like more like things that were popular were like football and things like that. But like like Nirvana like changed my my popularity. Because like I, they broke big like maybe between my junior and senior year. Yeah, ninety one was that right? Yeah, they did. But like in my class, like when when like the popular people started to like that stuff, uh-huh. all of a sudden I was like I had the look and everything that I had. They were like, "This kid is in. He knows what's cool." Yeah, and you were <laughs> like, "Man, I've just been doing this whole time." But okay, great. <laughs> exactly. So all of a sudden, like my senior year, I was kind of like you know, accepted or whatever. Not that I wasn't, but I was quiet, but all of a sudden people started talking to me and thinking I was like, you know, all right. So I had a pretty, pretty interesting um, senior year. Not that I was like taking off with popularity, but it was just awkward in a way to be like, oh, now you, now you talk to me. <laughs> like what? Right. You know, like it was just, it was interesting. Um, yeah. I remember that era too, because I was wearing a lot of flannel and ripped jeans before that happened. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like Nirvana blew up mm-hmm. and then everybody's wearing, I was like, wait a minute. And all of a sudden it was, and I, I love the grunge movement, but it was just all of a sudden this, everything changed <laughs> yeah. around me a little bit. And I was like, okay, you yeah. know, like you know, I had long hair and, you know, right. and I was, I was the weirdo, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I don't think I ceased to be, but then people, I mean, I, I sensed a bit of that shift too, where yeah. it wasn't really like I became super, super social, but it was more acceptable, you know? Yeah, there was like, not, oh, like, hey, you can right. be like, people would be like, cut your hair. And then they yeah. would be like, they didn't say it anymore. No, you know? no. And then it was like, oh, cool flannel, you know? Like I'm, they're growing their hair out. Yeah, know? totally. Yeah. But I yeah. guess that, you know, that could have been like that in the sixties too. Like, you know, yeah, like, I, I'm, I bet you it was, I bet any yeah. of the, on the cusp of any of those, uh, those yeah, big that was interesting. cultural changes like that, that, uh-huh. that happens. And, and it was an interesting era because it seemed to, um, and maybe it was when 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 it things switched into the hair metal era, but it just really seemed that that spread out. The grunge movement really spread out amongst people, and it was I don't know if it was more universal, but it felt like it was in my area where uh, some of the hair metal eras and some of that stuff it felt a little bit more separated, like who was into what. Yeah, and then grunge came along, and then kind of like the preppy kids liked grunge, and then yeah. the metal heads liked grunge. Yeah, and, and it was so funny because preppy kids liking grunge, it's like it's like Kurt Cobain like wearing like a cardigan. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. like, like blended all together. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Can you touch real quick on when you went to that summer camp, like? Um, what kind of classes were you taking there and what was yeah, that experience um, like enlightening wise? Yeah, there was some like jazz improvisation, like was one class and like, you know, I didn't really know anything about jazz, but I knew how to improvise and I knew how to hold down the bass lines and stuff like that. Um, um, there was some cool stuff. There was a MIDI technology class, which I, which was really nuts. Like they, they took out like, a synth guitar, you know? Oh, those guitars, yeah. Yeah, and it was crazy. It was like a synth guitar and not like a not like a synth like a like a guitar with strings that oh that was reading stuff. And this is you know, this is nineteen eighty eight. Right. You know, eighty nine. And so it was like it was there was a there was a latency. Obvious. Da don't da don't 
And it was yeah. just like, oh yeah, there's a latency, but you just gotta, you know, try to try to nail it. <laughs> so it was like latency, but you just gotta play before, you know. It was it was just like that's how you do it. You just play before, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember seeing that, and there was also um, so as far as like classes, um, I don't know, base, intermediate, base, you know, advanced, things like that. So I was in those classes, and then uh, they had a they had a cool luthier class, which was great because I got to set up my base super low action and, and shred and stuff. And I was like, yes, because <laughs> my, all my bases were like super high action, and I think that's why I kind of got good because I was able to still play on those high action things. But I didn't yeah. know for so long in my first three years of playing that my base was messed up <laughs> you know i was just like struggling yes. pressing as hard as i can you know it's funny those first experiences i remember the first time i changed a set of strings on an electric guitar that somebody lent me i didn't know there were string gauges yeah and i put like a lighter gauge on or something and yeah. the intonation was just completely whacked yeah and i just had no idea i'm like this guitar is broken now like what do i do with this do i throw it out like it's like those things start crossing your mind i'm like 15 or something and and then all of a sudden it was like somebody i think i mentioned and they were like well you know you have to put the right the same gauge string on i was like get the guitar set i was like what's that really you know yeah yeah totally because i wasn't really around i was a lot yeah. more isolated than yeah i don't remember like how I, I think i just i just bought whatever i saw the guy in the magazine i was like i gotta <laughs> yeah. get those yeah and that was it but i remember i remember i probably put some some heavy roto sounds on my bass and i remember putting them on and my bass was the action was so high but i didn't know why uh-huh yeah i was just like oops i bought the wrong string and i just played it like that for a couple of years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh, i don't like these strings <laughs> you know? like these strings are horrible yeah <laughs> yeah and so you finished high school um which doesn't sound like it was a horrible experience. You're making music a lot during that time, though, obviously playing in a bunch of bands, and you go to college. So when you went to NYU, mm -hmm. um, first of all, what made you seek out NYU, and did you continue playing in the bands you were in, or did you take a break because you wanted to focus yeah. on your studies? <laughs> Greatest. One of the funniest stories is, is uh, so my um, the wedding band I was in, uh, was in New Jersey. And so I had to go to college. I was, you know, it's time to go to college. And, and I wanted to go to NYU because it was New York. And I thought New York was cool. I was going to New York for all this stuff. And I figured I could, if I could be there, I'll just go there. And if I only lived a train, train ride away. So, um, but I wanted to live in New York. If I can get a dorm there, you know, that'd be cool. Um, even though I live kind of close. But I was like trying to go there and stay there, and uh, the guy in the wedding band, the drummer, he was he was his attitude was like I was trying to like basically say I'm not going to be able to do this anymore because I'm going to be going to school, and he was like, "What? Well, we only rehearse once a week, Wednesdays. It's only a train ride away, you know, like that kind of thing." He's like, "No, you can just," and I wound up staying. So I, <laughs> I was in the band for my freshman year and sophomore year of college. And then I, I think I quit in the summer of sophomore year of college. So when I came back as a junior, I was no longer in that band. And also no longer in the instrumental band. Like I kind of like stopped it all. 
But one thing that happened in college was I met my friend Carl, um, and he was in one of my classes. And that's when I started playing in a in a band that was like kids my own age, you know? Yeah. And that was like really the first time since I was like maybe 13 that I played. Was this an original band or a cover band? Original band. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so my friend Carl uh, Restivo, he, he, um, he's gone on, you know, that's how I started playing with Morello, and so he's he's in those circles. Oh, what uh, does he play? He plays kind of everything, oh. uh, but he's a guitarist mostly, um, and singer, very good singer. So when I when I met him, it was in class, and I was wearing a Lenny Kravitz shirt. I liked Lenny. And he was like, oh, cool, Lenny Kravitz, you know? And then we started talking. And uh, it turned out he had a band in New Jersey from his high school, because he had a band in high school. And now he's a freshman, I'm a freshman, we're both going to NYU. And uh, he's like, I still have my band, and like, I go home every weekend to rehearse. And he's like, we're playing, you know, at Nevada Smith's on 3rd Avenue, <laughs> you know? This is like, it's still there, that place, I think, maybe. What? Really? Nevada Smith's bar? You ever hear of it? No. Maybe it's not there, but it was like 13th and like 12th or, or huh, you know, something like that. It was 13th. East, like East 13th, Village, East Alphabet City? Like, no, it was uh, like 13th and 3rd Avenue or, okay. or 12th and 3rd Avenue. And so anyway, it was like a local, like if you were at NYU as a, as a freshman, you can go in there and actually get a beer, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we would go there, but he wound up getting his band to play there. And he asked me if I would like want to come up on stage and sing, and I was like thrilled, you know. And sooner or later, he was like, "We're gonna go and do a, an album in the studio in Jersey, but we're gonna cut it all at once live." And I want to not be able to. I want. I don't want to have to think about playing guitar and singing because it was a two guitar group. He was a, a lead guitarist and him like on rhythm. And so he wanted to concentrate on singing. So he was like, can you learn the songs and we'll go and do the studio. So I did the studio session, which was just all live to tape. And uh, he just concentrated on singing. And then after that, I just was in the band. So then we were like three guitarists on the band. So so really by um, sophomore year, I was in my first original rock band and we were playing all over the village. What was the genre of music? Was it sort of progressive or was it more mainstream? Or? It was like, think like Jane's Addiction, meeting Living Color, mm-hmm. uh, meeting Frank Zappa, mm-hmm. um, meaning it was like, you know, some odd times and just craziness. It was uh, a mixture of all this. There was some chili pepper influence. But I, so the Zappa connection comes back again, right? So you saw the posters on your bass yes. teacher's wall mm-hmm. and now you're more aware. Was there a point in between when you were 10 and started bass lessons and when you were a freshman in college that you started listening to Zappa a no, lot more? Um, well, my brother was also uh, interested in Zappa. We we were influenced by, uh, you know, David Lee Roth's, brand new solo band uh-huh. you know, which, with had, Steve Vai. which had Steve I and he was relatively just brand new but he had that history of being in Zappa like a few years earlier and my teacher knew about Vi so he was like wait till you see David Lee Roth's new band and we we're like really because <laughs> we were like talking Van Halen split up he's like wait he's like he's got Steve Vai in it you know and I was like who's that and he was like oh he played with Zappa you know he's really good 
So then when that album came out, we were just like, this is great, you know? And so we loved it. And so we were into Steve Vai. And I liked Steve Vai. I got his first solo record, uh, Flexible. And mm -hmm. like, I got it in like 80, um, I got it in like 87. And uh, that was very Zappa influenced. So it's really weird stuff on there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I like that record. Yeah, it's me really too. Cool. Yeah. So I loved it. I was like, this is entertaining. It's mm. like, oops. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so when I was in college, I my brother actually bought the Jazz From Hell record. Mm -hmm. And we would drive to school. He, My brother went to school, same school as me for a while. So he was in 12th grade. I was in ninth. And uh, <clears throat> we would listen to Jazz From Hell, which is a all sync clavier record mm -hmm. with one live track on it that's just a guitar solo so it was just like this is frank zappa <laughs> like it was just like this is just computer music you know like uh -huh. like in from 86 or 85 or whatever and and so we that was my introduction which i actually liked some of that stuff when i was mm -hmm. a kid you know i was like i get this song now you know but it was totally didn't sound like anything human like no sound. Yeah, it was so unusual sound. Yeah, right? and like it's... samples that are like, you know, not instruments, you know, just like what is that? Mm -hmm. So, um but in college I I discovered the NYU library. So that had all the music that you could want, you know. You'd open a book and it would say alphabetical order, like all the groups, all the different artists. And so the last in under Z was, you know, I noticed it was like seven pages of Frank Zappa. Like I was like, damn, <laughs> this is a lot of Zappa. So I was like, maybe I could finally listen to it. Cause in the store I'd be interested, but I'd go to like in the record stores, I'd go to the Zappa section, look at CDs and I'd be like, I don't know what to buy. And they were all yeah, always right. double albums. So it would be like, you know, more expensive than I wanted to spend. Yeah, and CDs were expensive back then. Like, yeah, they there were. There was new technology. I remember even in like the early 90s, was it the early 90s when they came out? Like it would be like 16, 17 bucks for a mm -hmm. CD then, which was a lot of a lot of money for the they time. They were 17 bucks. I remember yeah. buying a Prince record in high school and it was $17. And, um, but yeah, the double albums would be like 25, 30. Yeah. And so if you didn't know the, the music and you just saw the album, title you were like it sounds fun like this the Hard names of these the songs on, yeah the names of these songs sound fun and crazy i want to i want to hear it but i'm not spending the money mm -hmm. so in at nyu i was like i got the chance to listen to that stuff so i did and that's when i was like wow this stuff is awesome because i i happened to pick one album that i really loved and that was called we're only in it for the money and just reading all the lyrics at that day, like, and being like, wow, this came out in 1968, you know? I was into Hendrix, which same time period, mm -hmm. but like, I was just surprised that this was existing. Yeah, then. I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Is I feel like because of the pop culture and how, um, not that it's all bad, the mainstream music isn't bad per se, mm -hmm. but it uh, has tunnel vision in some ways. So I know like when I started finally getting exposed to avant-garde music or, Mm -hmm. stuff I was really surprised and sometimes I'm still surprised when I go back to early 20th century music and I yeah. hear the things that were happening and um, Schoenberg and a bunch of different things you're kind of surprised at the time period that stuff was right. happening and you're like I can't believe this is like yeah 
what year this and was. It's and it's cool. It's like gives me a cool feeling to like see that. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Like that was happening then. Like you know, yeah. It always does. From any, you know, it doesn't have to be music, but like totally, you know, that they made a car that looked like this, you know, in that time, you know, right. So that's kind of like exciting. So that's how I kind of felt about that. So with with um, me discovering that in freshman year, like zapping music and just being like, I really like this stuff. I got to go back to the library and like listen to it again and then listen to something else. And they had all the videos, concert videos too. Oh, wow, that's great. So, and I, I told my friend Carl, who saw me with the Lenny Kravitz shirt, I was like, yeah, you know who I've been listening to at the library? I was like, Frank Zapp. And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> he's like, me too, I got... You know, he told me like, and we started trading records and then we kind of really got into it together and uh, we were roommates next year and we had our band and we were just kind of doing that kind of rock mixed with um, like modern rock at the time mixed with like this new influence of the Frank stuff. Mm -hmm. And did you continue working together through college? And Yeah, we did. We, uh, we kept our band together until it kind of like stopped. Um, uh, I don't really remember the reason for it stopping, uh, besides kind of maybe just growing out of it. Um, but we had another band called Wrong and, uh, that was, that was really fun. Yeah. He played drums in that. And we had, uh, two friends from school that didn't play really. They weren't like me and Carl had played tons of gigs and been playing for years. And these other guys my friend Dan and my friend Jim. Jim was a friend of mine who didn't even play bass. He just wanted to. So he got like a cheap bass and I would like show him how to play. And he would be like, I wrote this song and it'd be like two notes. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then so, but I had a four track and this is like I'm talking about like junior year. Uh-huh. And I, I, we would start, you know, drum machine and four track and we would make a song. And then we started, we put the band together. And so my friend Dan would play acoustic guitar, like through a Marshall amplifier. <laughs> and, um, you know, he would sing and we would have all these hilarious songs and we were called wrong. So everything we did was like kind of wrong. Uh-huh. And if you listen to it, you, you were kind of wrong. So um, we had that band for many years oh. until probably like 2010 or something. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And for, that started in like 96. Wow, and but it was like the really a really fun band. Um, uh, Carl, uh, he wound up moving to L.A. and started playing with Morello, mm-hmm. and uh, he knows like he already knew like Nuno Bancourt, and he's a he's got his own like chops as a producer. Carl, so he was like working with Wyclef here in in the city. So we kind of split up in a way. Like he was going in this like hip hop direction, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I was doing the rock and I started playing with the Project Object and some of those Zappa groups and stuff. Yeah, so what was the connection with that? So, and, and I want to come back in a bit and talk about NYU a little bit and you were studying orchestration and yeah. stuff there, film scoring and stuff. Um, so obviously you got the bug, you got really into the Zappa music and yeah. then at some point you find yourself playing with a lot of the people that were yeah. on these records. Uh-huh. So uh, how, how did that unfold? Um, it's funny. Uh, I so I became like a big Frank Zappa fan in freshman year. Um, I was doing a summer program recording technology at NYU, uh, and 
and I was looking through the Village Voice, the the newspaper, and I was, I saw this, you know, for the bitter end, like it said, Ed Palermo big band plays <laughs> the music of Frank Zappa, and I was like, big band Frank Zappa, I don't know anything about big bands, but I just started listening to Frank Zappa this year. And so I went to this show and it was, boom, it was like 17 piece band playing like all Frank Zappa at the bitter end. And I was just like, bam, I was like loud as hell right in my face. And I loved it. And it was a lot of the stuff I knew and all that stuff. So I was really into that. I talked to him next time I brought my friend Carl when school was back in for the fall. And Carl said, we, we started talking to Ed. And Ed was like, you play this stuff? And I was like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I just learned, you know, Echidnazar for a song. And he's like, oh, you know, you know how to play it on bass? And I said, yeah. And he said, can you transcribe it for me? And I said, oh God, like, okay. I just learned it by ear. Mm -hmm. So we did it on Music Time, which is a, it's like a program on like a PC <laughs> that was like out in like 94. Wow. And it was like, you know, dot, matrix printer you <laughs> yeah know? totally like, with the uh, right is that is that the one with the the uh yeah the holes on the, the side of the paper that, that comes out you tear off yeah. yeah yeah it was that it was that it was like giant notes you know like yeah. and i like you know we're listening to like basically it was crazy but that's how i did it um and my band with carl the original band we um at that sorry we went to go see ed palermo again uh, and Ike Willis, who is the singer on Joe's Garage for Frank Zappa, and he was in Zappa's band for like 10 years almost. So he um, was a guest with Ed Palermo at the bottom line and went to go talk to him after the show. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm playing tomorrow in Jersey. And we're like, really? With who? And he's like, this band called Project Object, and we're going to do the whole Joe's Garage album. I was like, wow, we got to go to that. So we went to Jersey the next night. We saw them. And then through that, um, I had a website for our band. I was like programming HTML. And this is 98. And uh, <laughs> I started uh, to, to write to, this, to the leader of Project Object, this guy, Andre Chumley, still a good friend of mine. And he uh, basically was like, yeah, you can open up for us next time we play. Me and, me and Carl, we had our band called Eyes. Um, so we did, we opened up for them. Um, and that's when I kind of said, like, that's where I kind of met Andre and told him, if you ever need a bass player, like, I'd love to play. And sooner or later, like my friend Rick, who was in the band, um, in his band, Project Object, um, basically, uh, couldn't do it. So he asked me to do it. And I did like two shows. And then sooner or later, what happened was their keyboard player couldn't do a little short tour. So they asked me if I could learn the keyboard parts on guitar. What were you playing first, bass or guitar? Bass first for the first three gigs that I filled mm -hmm. in, in Project Object. Then I played um, guitar. Um, and then keyboards. I never played keyboards. Oh, you never I, played I learned keyboards. the keyboard parts on guitar because their keyboard player la last minute couldn't do the tour. Ah, uh, uh-huh. So I, that's when I joined and I did my first tour. I was 24. That was 99. And uh, 
I remember I was working at Penguin Books and I was just like an in-house messenger. Uh, yeah. So it was fun, you know, it was just like, you know, chill job. But they wanted to hire me like for permanently because I was doing temp job stuff, you know. And uh, I was just like, well, I got an offer to go on tour for two weeks. And they were like, okay, you can work after the tour. And I was like, how many weeks do I get off like <laughs> a year? And they're like, two weeks. And I was like, oh, that means that like, I can't do this. Like, right. I can only do this. Uh, and I, I just didn't take the job. I was, I said like, and that's like, <laughs> that could have been my first and only like kind of real job, you know, who knows? Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I had to, it was a balance. I had to choose between trying to be a touring person or, you know, make a little bit of money. Like having, yeah, that, I think that's the tricky thing about this industry, right? There's it's, it's not a, a thing that you can ease into because yeah. a regular job and, and touring or doing this a lot, they really can conflict a lot. So you're yeah. often thrown right into it and, and are forced to sink or swim, right? Yeah. Because it's just, I can't have a job and then go on tour. The tour touring comes intermittently and yeah. you, know, you have to just be able to go with it mm -hmm. when it happens. And sometimes people will call you and be like, what are you doing in two weeks? Yeah. And having a regular job where you'd have to see if other people can change scheduling. Yeah. It's just like, it doesn't work. And I could never like do that. Like other people would be like, just lie to them. And just like, you know, when it's time to like tour, you just quit, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And I could never do that. Like do an interview and be, I, I couldn't do an interview anyway. I was just like nervous wreck, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's stressful. And then, and then yeah. you just feel like it's a, it's, it's, it's a lot to, yeah. Be holding that in the back of your mind. And I know I felt guilty. And, like, you know, like, you end up liking people and then yeah. you're stiffing them and you're like, ah, you know? Yeah. I always had a hard time with that, like quitting groups and stuff like that. It was very like stressful. Yeah. It's never easy. Yeah. yeah. You know, like people, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I'm just being honest, but I was like better than every, everybody that I knew in my high school or in my grammar school who played. So they always wanted me to be in their group, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, if I didn't like, and I would, I'd be like a nice guy, but I would be like, these guys can't even play, you know? Right. You have to find a way to, to move on. So you can, yeah. But yeah. like, you know, you have to like somehow get out of it. And I felt like I was always getting out of groups and stuff, like <laughs> trying to like, how am I going to get out of this group? <laughs> you know, which is really, I think that kind of carried on. That's when I got that job, when I, when I got these jobs off, job offers, I'd be like, Oh God, I thought gonna, about that. I'm right? like, gonna, how am I going to get out of this? Uh huh. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a tricky thing to navigate. Right. And even professionally, there's sometimes when you have to leave or don't want to do tours and stuff. And, and I'm sure like thinking through and having some of those experiences, I didn't have a lot of those experiences growing up. So I think when I had to, learn how to leave projects, it, it took a little bit and still is never comfortable, but sometimes even if it's amicable or whatever, it's, um, it's a tricky situation and it takes a bit to kind of figure out how to frame it or, you know, yeah. how to maneuver those dynamics of, of not burning bridges or you know, yeah. like I've definitely made the mistake of burning bridges in the past and maybe hopefully I'm finally getting to the state of work and kind of understand how to frame things or, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's nerve wracking in a way, because um, you're dealing with all kinds of different personalities. Yeah, 
you know, and uh, some people who lead bands are, you know, that one per that kind of personality to be a band leader, you know, they kind of want to be all for all or nothing, you know? Yeah. And they want you to be on, on board. Like you are part of the world conquering um, <laughs> society that they've made, you know? Oh, totally. And, and whenever you're in their, their, their universe, it's just, it could be a little demanding because it just feels like it's, you're never let go. You're always on call. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. Kind of taxing and being. In yeah. That. Which, you know, kind of makes you want to step out. Right. You yes. know, in, in yeah. the first place. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It gets, you, yeah. I feel like you can only do that so long before you get overwhelmed. Unless I think there are some people with personalities, maybe that could just get into those worlds and they could just exist there and they're happy. I think it's always been hard for me because I'm, I'm a creative person and like to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. So entering into somebody's universe who, who, uh, they take up a lot of oxygen, so to speak, right? Yeah. It's a little hard for me to live in those spaces for too long. Yes. Because yes. I need to do yeah. my own thing. Yeah, you want to do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know there were certain instances where I got on tour where I started feeling frustrated because there wasn't any time allotted for me to have my own space. And yeah. I uh, didn't always recognize what was frustrating me, but I think it was, I realized now, I know that that was frustrating me, that I didn't Definitely. have any space carved out to like, you know, Are you talking thoughts. about physical space? Uh, no, mental space. Yeah, yeah. the The physical space stuff didn't never bothered me too much, um, but I guess I guess it does tie into the mental space. Um, I I for whatever reason I need to have not I wouldn't call it quiet time, but I need to have time by myself. It's to, to think or to my mind is always imagining songs and music and stuff, and mm -hmm. I need to just sometimes sit in a room by myself or have a couple hours where I could just like think about that stuff or I can create something yeah. to, to mm -hmm. let that part out. Otherwise yeah. it just feels like it's bubbling. So, um, so sometimes I can get socially overwhelmed if I'm around people for too long of a period yeah. of time. Like, like Abby, my wife is, is she could just be around people all the time. She like doesn't yeah. want people to go home. And that's not that I don't love people. I uh -huh. just need to have like, I need a little getaway sometimes yeah. so I could just be near a piano or something and be like, Oh, I hear this chord movement happening or, uh -huh. you know, and I could put it back and I go back and, no, I hear yeah. that. Definitely. Uh -huh. the, the alone time is super important. I I need that like crazy. You do too, yeah. Yeah. I, I've done like the touring where you're just sharing a room for weeks mm -hmm. and being in a small van. Right. You yeah. Know, four people in a room and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like just for, for years, like, I was in a group like that. And um, yeah, you just, I, you don't even know maybe if, if, what it's like until you <laughs> the first time I was in a band where I had my own hotel room was like just mind-blowing I couldn't believe it like it was like oh my god I could never go back oh I know yeah once that happens I know it's like a luxury that first time you close the door and the room is just yourself and it's yeah. a nice hotel and you're just like but it's quiet and you could just, it's yeah, just the it's, space is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and I keep, um, I run back there like after soundcheck, you know, like, I got to go to that hotel, even if it's just like half hour, I'll yeah. lay down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, just to yeah. feel that space and be there. I know that was, that's such a luxury when you're on the road. And, yeah. and I think it's, because you're around, I mean, you're such a, it's such a unique experience, I think being on tour because it's, you're, you're a rolling family. 
Yeah, you're 24 moves. hours a day. 24 7 around each other, and there's just yeah. jokes that the outside world isn't get through. You feel like you're experiencing life in a different way than yes. anybody outside that mm -hmm. bubble. But you is, are. Right? You are experiencing it. It's a great. I love touring because of that reason. It, bonding, yeah. It's bonding, but it, uh, yeah, and that is cool. That, that automatically happens. Um, you know, you're all in it together. You have, you're all stepping away from your house, you know, yep. so you got that all in common. You're all going to the same truck stops, experiencing the same city and club and backstage and mm -hmm. hotel. Yeah. And so you just have that. Uh, but uh, one thing I love about it is that it's a break from reality in so many different ways. It really is. Yeah. That's a good point. Like there's no other reality where I cannot make my bed and have a fresh bed um, every time I go, every time I leave this room. Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like you don't do things. You don't like, you don't have to cook. You don't have to make your bed. Um, you just have to pack up your stuff and put it somewhere and then just get it in a, in a vehicle and then go to a new city and then get treated relatively nice because yeah. there's there's uh, an audience who wants to cater to you. Not an audience. Um, I mean, a, a a staff or something. You go somewhere and they're like, "Okay, well, you guys, what do you guys need?" And you're like used to this. What do you guys need? And and uh, you got enough water? It's like it's totally. Of, oh yeah. You know, like yeah. You just kind of roll into places, and then people are after the show are complimenting you if you're on a good tour where there's people that show up. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, you get used to this. That's a reality. That's just not not like it it's not like that at home you know no i mean your meals i mean are generally taken care of for you or if you have to stop you stop at a, a diner's i mean you get food but it's all yeah. pretty like you're not really tapped into the same reality i saw once somebody took a shot at a touring artist because i think they didn't know what the price of a carton of eggs were and people were like they're so out of touch i'm like they're live on tour they don't buy a carton of raw yeah. eggs like you know it's like they're not that's not just that's not their life you yeah, know yeah. like it's not that they're detached from the regular person it's like you don't live that way when you're on tour you're yeah like, i used to get pretty depressed when i come home from tour back a long time ago when i first yeah. was in my 20s and stuff like what am i gonna do because i was having a good time i've made some money you know it wasn't that much but you know at the end i would get some cash you know i'd be like okay great i could you know pay my rent for you know a couple months and then that's what all the money would go to about. But I felt rich, you know, I'd be like, wow, this is, but what am I going to do for the next two months? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. The transition is always hard. Like there's always those first couple of days where you're just so exhausted. You don't realize how tired you are when you get back from tour. And then there's yeah. the panic of like a couple, four days in order to be like, wait a minute, how this tour money isn't going to last that long. What am I going to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, it was interesting. I know like, I, I started out a lot with original music. And so I didn't really do a lot of um, wedding gigs until later in my life. Although I did do some cover bands and yeah. stuff. And that's how I made enough money to get out of Pennsylvania to move to New York City. But when I, um, after I'd been touring a lot and it's like what you're saying, you show up and people are like, hey, here's your green room. Is there anything I can get you? Like people are engaged and asking you and want to help you. Yeah. And then I started doing um, some wedding gigs and stuff here and there because the money surprisingly is more than a lot of touring gigs. So I occasionally sub. Yeah. And that was such a surprising experience when I went from two of those worlds, because in a wedding gig, often you show up 
and nobody cares at all yeah, about yeah, you. Yeah. Like you, if even if you ask them, he's like, "Where do I go?" Like nobody, it's like you're dead. You know, yeah, nobody, exactly. nobody. Like there's they're no. Like green I'm working here too. You know. You know like, <laughs> yeah. You're like it's really. Yeah, I know. I remember this. <laughs> Are there any waters? Is there any, like it's just like you're like. It, yeah, I know. It's such a. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's like like when you're in a group, you're like, you know, kind of looked at as uh, you are the entertainment and you are why we're all here, you know, like because you're going to a venue and without you guys there, there is no show, there is no work, there's, you know, so kind of, well, that's when the band is doing well. If you're just playing right. a bar and like, you know, yeah, and then they're, you're lucky to have the bar, right? You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, right. You are lucky, you know? right, right. They, they treat you like you know, kind of that in a way, mm -hmm. but What's interesting though is I think one of the things you were touching on earlier about the difficulties of of having to leave projects to deal with that. It's like two of the the I think things that are the hardest about the music business that nobody really talks about is yes, I mean obviously leaving opportunities, but also dealing with. Um, I think there's a misperception about freelance or independent musicians, and one of those is that okay, you get and you play with so and so, and you're set, or that's your gig, yeah. and you always do that gig, but this line of work is a lot more transient than people realize. Mm -hmm. So just, it's not very often that you'll get a gig with somebody and then you play with them for a decade or something, yeah, right? No. It, it's it, it's a lot more transient than yeah. that. And um, it's and like for you, like how do you manage with when say your time is up on a project, right? <laughs> we all have them happen. I mean, it happens all the time, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and uh, it's so weird though. Uh, I'm, I haven't had the luxury of being told this is it, you know, with some of the groups. Like, I'll be, you know, when you're filling in for somebody, um, you you don't know. You're only filling in for as long as until they come back. Right, so there's always the, the expectation that it's not your gig. And yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, exactly. There's that. It's not your gig. That's how it was with Tom Morello. It wasn't my gig. Um, but, like, also people don't, you know, um, when I played with Sean Lennon, for instance, that was uh, an original group that was just starting up like as a full band. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, you know, we did a lot of touring and it was like maybe time to make a new record because we toured on one record. And you didn't know how long you were going to do that for. And they they didn't say like, we're stopping the group. It was more like, okay, well... Do something soon, and then things happened. Like you, wa I watched him start playing with uh, uh, Les Claypool, and then he was like, "I want to do the band," but you know there was more Les Claypool tours, and then it was, you know, things like that, and and so you just don't. Nobody tells you like the band is gonna dissolve, right? Because maybe even in his mind, it hasn't dissolved. It's yeah, still it's there, like hiatus, but he's just doing all these like, different you know, things. And right. also, you don't know if you're in it anymore, anyway. Right, right. You know, like that kind of thing. So, like that, that's just an example. But yeah, how do I deal with that? I mean, really, I haven't been. I don't think I've been told that things have stopped. I've been in several groups that played a lot, and then, um maybe lost a, a residency somewhere and then like you don't know if they're going to call you mm -hmm. the next time or or they you just, don't know until you see they have a gig and you're not on it right yeah, you yeah. i wonder if they have a guitar player in that band no they don't so maybe i'm still in the group right <laughs> yeah. you know like um so yeah i 
actually having that question kind of it's hard for me to say it it applies because every group that i've been in um that doesn't play anymore like they just kind of like tours over we'll see you soon uh i'll let you know what's happening and then nothing happens <laughs> <laughs> right so i don't know what that what that's really uh about or where that comes from but some people have um some people just have flexible lifestyles where they might have a band and then might you know go be an actor or then you know do different things mm -hmm. um so yeah as far as that goes like I kind of just hope, you know, you're hoping things will like COVID is it's like a, it's like COVID. You didn't know when, when it was going to be up, right. when it's going to be over. So you, it's kind of like that. Like, you're like, okay, right now I'm not playing for sure because COVID is happening. But if, if this goes away in three months, then I'll probably maybe jump back in with that group. You know, mm -hmm. you don't know. Which is really hard after something like that too, because yeah. you lose a lot of momentum mm -hmm. like with, with something like COVID. I feel like there were things that maybe were just on the back burner, but then when COVID happened, it was just like the reset button and got hit with a lot of people. And it just seems like yeah. whatever existed before COVID almost doesn't yeah, exactly. exist. Your roots with gigs and stuff. Yeah, so that's, that's definitely happened too. Yeah. It's not like you could just pick back up where you were, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how how do you, as a musician, you know, deal with like? Are you just in the back of your mind? You always have to find new work, right? So it's like if a, if somebody's on hiatus or some people are successful enough that they can follow different ventures and yeah. not stress about it, right? So we, you're a working artist, so how how do you manage like trying to consider if that gig is coming back versus if you're trying how much I, new work you're I, I doing. Risk, I risk. You risk, yeah. I don't I don't have to, right? I just I just know it's I just know it's either it's not even sink or swim. Like like I'm like I, I do teach, you know, I teach to supplement, you know, funds and stuff like that. So um and I save money by cooking, right? And I used to like when I when I was doing a you know, steady income from gigs and stuff and like steady like groups that I've been in, I would be like, I'm going out to dinner like all the time. You know, it's six o'clock, where should I go eat? You know, mm -hmm. and it's a waste of money, you know, and when it comes down to it, but you don't think it that way when you have some. Right. You know, you're right. just like, yeah, you, oh, don't. you know, um, but you don't know when it's going to stop. Because it's all of a sudden this influx of um, more money that is steady until it's not. And then you're like, okay, well, it's not right now. So when is it going to be steady again? You don't know. So I kind of learned to like, you know, shop and cook and all that stuff. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's kind of, I, I think about this a lot because I'm just like, when there's no, there's not a lot of money. Every once in a while, there's a, there's a, there's a gig that comes by and it pays well. And I'm like, oh, wow, that pays for like several gigs, that one gig, you know, maybe I'm just talking about one show, mm. you know? And I'm like, oh, wow, that's like, that's like 10 shows worth of, you know, money for that one show, you know? And I'll be like, that's good pay. And I'll be like, oh, that, 
oh, I guess there's nothing after that. It's like going on tour and there's one a one off. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you kind of like want to save that money. So everything like I I make like I try I I'm kind of like trying not to tap into it as uh -huh. much as possible. Um. So that means really kind of spending less. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that, uh, and I just try to um, be open to opportunities and also just a little bit smarter business wise, you know, like how much you're charging, what you will do, what you won't do. Right. Asking a lot more questions about gigs that you take, right? Yeah. Take and just being realistic about it, you uh -huh. know, like, oh, can you teach me uh, this and that? And like, okay. Or can you teach me like a half hour? Like, okay, it's going to take me an hour to do the half hour. Mm -hmm. So so it's not going to be a half hour price. It's going right. to take me an hour because I have to go to you, you know, and. That's hard for us to do because I feel like, yeah, I think that there's some people that have jobs and they don't like doing their job. And so anytime, if somebody asks them to do something immediately, their mind is like, do I get paid overtime for this, right? Because I hate doing this job. Yeah. The problem with what we do is that we both really love what we do. Mm -hmm. So generally when somebody asks you to do something involving that, your first instinct is to be like, yes, I'll do that. Yeah, I know. Right? The so first you have to instinct. fight that yes, to be like, to, wait a minute. <laughs> you have to be your, you have to be a business person yeah. that, that is like not into it. And yeah, because totally, otherwise you lose and it's it could be harsh. You know, yeah, you losses, have to yeah. draw the line. Like yeah. I could be have, having fun like, you know, teaching somebody because I like the person or like I'm into what I'm showing them and they're getting it. But like, if I don't go like, it's time, then, you know, I'm I'm not doing like the business well, you know? Right. Yeah. And the business is like, it's like ab abstract, you know? Yeah, it's something that's never drilled into us. Yeah. I think barely not that much even in colleges. It's like, it's such a big part of it. And it's the thing that I see even myself included was the one of the hardest struggles was honestly the business aspect of it yeah well money is like it's it's natural to be like ex excited and want to hang out with somebody and, and play music or something and show somebody something but and money is totally not natural it's right. just like, Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what is this yeah so yeah. but of course it's the reality we live in and we need yeah, the we need money to survive yeah so then that that, that yeah. becomes stressful yeah. One question I wanted to ask you, we have yeah. um, about 10 minutes left here, uh, was, so you learn a lot of complicated music and you've transcribed for Guitar World, a bunch of different places. So you're preparing you, to, to tour, you're playing a lot of these Zappa tunes, or even like, I know when you played with Ricky Lee Jones, there was a, an incredible amount of songs that you'd have to have memorized or also, um, did you have to have memorized or did you have charts? Were the charts okay? <laughs> it was funny. It was like we had, I had a chart book for her and it was the first gig and we used the charts chart book and the next day she, she was like i don't want any no the that the night after that gig um she said i don't want anybody reading um out of the book tomorrow <laughs> i was like oh my god one day notice wow yeah so i was like wow so no charts on stage after day one <laughs> and I'm totally new to the group. And uh, so I, yeah, that was, I had to memorize it, everything. Yeah. I, I did like have, luckily <laughs> this is a good thing about having a keyboard. I had a little, um, what are those red keyboards? Nords? Nords. Uh -huh. I had a little Nord, a bass and a, a guitar. 
and a vocal. You know, that was my little station. And uh, I was able to put like, you know, a piece of paper on the Nord, like which I never play keyboards in a gig. This was my first time like being like a semi-keyboard player in a band. And so I had that little table to put little cheat sheets on. So she couldn't see them. So you yeah, had like them nobody there, could but, see it. I right. don't think she minded that like I had these notes on there. Right. It was just, but it was just like a lyric audience. here and there, you know, like, you know, things like that. Uh huh. Like little reminders of difficult sections to remember. Yeah. Right? Like basically lyrics and things like that. Uh huh. And generally, like, what's your process for learning music like that? Because I've seen some clips of you playing. Uh, with the Zappa alumni and stuff, and you're not reading charts yeah. there either, right? So yeah. how do you go about memorizing and learning such complex music like that? Like, is it a, a daily process of only learning chunks of a song or do you have a photographic memory or? Oh, uh, not, uh, I don't think I have a photographic memory. Sometimes I'll be remembering a part of a song but i and i remember the part on the page that i re learned it from like I'll i be, do that I, do? I like to make charts for that reason because i have a visualization i uh -huh. remember the visualization of parts like rhythms and stuff so it helps yeah. me remember music for sure yeah it's funny because if you're looking at paper to, like notes that you've taken to learn a song and then you're like you know and then like you're on stage or something you'll kind of like be like, yeah, at the bottom of the page, the next page is, is this part, you know, like, cause you remember like when you were learning it, that yeah. you wrote it down. So that, I don't know if that's a photographic memory, but it's something to do with visual. You have a visual association. So yeah. Uh -huh. visu yeah. So, uh, but like, I think a lot of the complicated stuff has to be done through muscle memory, you know? Mm -hmm. I can't think that fast sometimes, you know, play all those notes. Okay, so you're not thinking, I mean, Locrian or, or Mixolydian, you, you've, at that point, you've already, you know what it is, but you're just running through the, I know I'm getting from point A to point B. And Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so one, the thing with the Zappa stuff is that I've played that so long. So if you saw me a, vi a video of me like last month, that those songs I've played for, years uh-huh so um uh i think one of the things i could use as an example is the mahavishnu stuff i've been playing because that is totally new music to me um and i had to learn you know a lot of different strange things that are long and complicated <laughs> odd time signatures so uh for that it's like listen to the music um and immediately just try to figure it out. Um, and then if you have the sheet music or if you've written it out, um, you're going about it in a slow way with a, with either a metronome or I, I program or I type in the music into like a, like a sequencer that'll play it back, you know, like a, whatever. I use Guitar Pro. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. And I type in like the frets and stuff mm -hmm. like that in tablature so that I can figure out, maybe I'll change it too. be like, oh, that's the wrong, I should do it on a different string, you know, like position wise. So I'll, I'll map that out and then I'll, and then I'll play along with it. Are you using the amazing slow downer or any software to, to pull the tempo down? No, in that program, I, you talking about for transcribing? Yeah. Oh, for transcribing? Um, no, I, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, uh, I, I, I don't know. 
it's not laziness. It's just that I, I haven't come across something that I needed to. But I, I used to do all that with tapes, you know, cassette tapes. Now it would be like easier if it just loaded into like Pro Tools or whatever. Mm. You can stop it right there and just, you know, highlight a part and go back. Right. Yeah. So you were hearing, even with the Zappa stuff, a lot of those fast runs, you were learning those at full speed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just with the pause button. Uh -huh. it, basically, if it went, da -da -da -da, you know, I would stop it and I'd be like, all right, I remember that phrase. Yeah, it's uh -huh. dun, 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 dun. Uh -huh. you know, one thing at a time. So that's it. And um, then as you're doing that, so you're doing short motives, short, very short phrases. Yeah, right? so you're transcribing, learning, yeah. You're transcribing now, then you're learning. I mean, with the Mahavanishu stuff, I know you said that you had a book that you were learning a lot of yes. stuff out of the book, but yeah. you, if you were learning it on your own, you wouldn't, but um, but still the same process of, of I imagine with the Mahavanishu out of the book, are you still like, you're still chunkering, chunking it into small sections to practice it? So if you have like a four bar phrase, you're not going to, are you working out the four bar or eight bar phrase? Like, immediately or are you, are you trying to, to get to smaller pieces to, to then weave together? Um, they're like little phrases, like the parts in the Mahavishnu stuff are kind of like, maybe like, maybe like 15 notes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it like a break and another 15 notes and a break, right? So you learn that 15 note thing and um, then you learn the next one, you learn the next one and then you kind of just See if you can play it with the record, right? Uh -huh. And then you're like, ah, oh, they're too fast for me. Like I can't do it, you know. Well, maybe you slow it down. Maybe you find on on YouTube and you go to like the half speed thing, uh huh. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, and you play it slow. But mostly, what I've been doing lately to learn stuff is kind of typing it in. I like to type it into a, my computer, my laptop, because I feel like that. That way, I can have a metronome, and and it's like. I get the timing right, et cetera. Uh -huh. Right, you play along to the slower version yeah, too, so you yeah. can hear if you're out of sync. Yeah, or... and I type in which frets like that work for me. Yeah, because that's a big thing with learning yeah. that music. It's figuring out yeah. which position to play it in, which yeah, can really guitar. trip you up. Uh huh. Yeah, the guitar. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So that is uh, that's kind of it. Yeah, but my, I feel like most of it uh, becomes muscle memory. Are you doing one song at a time, or are you often working on several songs at the same time? I'll look at like if I have to if I have to like get a whole bunch of songs together, I'll look at like the the hardest ones first. Mm -hmm. The fastest, have to hardest spend ones. The most time with those. Yeah. yeah, and then the other ones that like that are slower, they're also complicated too, because they're like forms and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. what what I'm reading after after a while I've got it all memorized. No notation is on my my cheat sheet. So I'll have like a an iPad on the stage where I can each each song will just have the form. Mm -hmm. So it'll be like intro three times or something. Whatever I can whatever makes sense to me, you know. Mm -hmm. And then like you know, verse or whatever and and then solos and you know, just like the form. So mm -hmm. I, I already know all the music, but the stuff I'm looking at on stage is mostly just words, <laughs> right? Telling uh -huh. me what to do next if I get lost, you know. Uh -huh. Especially right. if I'm taking a solo and I'm like, while I'm soloing, I'm like, what's happening next? Right, because that's really hard sometimes coming out of a solo, right? Yeah, that's because you're losing moment. yourself and you're supposed to. Yeah, and then you have to jump back to reality, and there's that moment of yeah, being, and like, just I like, just don't know like where I am. Like I don't where... know when what to do next after I stop soloing. Right, having yeah. a note there to be like having, you're 
yeah. ground you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Going back to the verse. Yeah. Thanks. It's like almost coming out of a dream for a second, right? Yes. And then yeah. to it being a really deep dream and being like, I don't know where I yeah, am. Yeah, which is know? what you're supposed to do, you know? Right. You're supposed to get like a little bit out there and try to do something and lose yourself. Right. And then you had to come back into reality. Right, right. And often if it's something that's complicated, you don't have, there's not a lot of time there to, to ease into it. It's yeah. like right back into the fire. Yeah, it's, it's fun. That's, it's good to have those notes. Definitely. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I imagine until you do like several dates in a row. If you're, if you're doing a tour, like the first couple of nights on the tour, and then you could eventually wean yourself off. But if yeah. you're not playing a gig very often, you can't, you just can't get that comfortable with it, right? No. Yeah, plus another thing is I can't read that fast, you know? Right. Yeah, right. I mean, those are like some of that stuff is like 30 second note, you know? Yeah. Triplets and. Yeah. You don't want to have to like stare at a page during that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eyes popping out. Yeah. <laughs> Sweating. That would be pretty rough. No, it's too, too, that is rough. Well, the thing I want to leave it with is I just want to talk briefly about your, um, your website is RobbieVangano.com. Yeah. And, uh, and you have a, a song, a new song out called Pizza Pie. Yeah, it's Pizza right? Pie. And so, um, are you doing, do you do shows with the original music? No. Are you planning on? <laughs> well, it's been kind of like a lifelong dream for me to do. But it's like, it's not like a lifelong dream where I'm like, oh, I can't wait, <laughs> you know, can't wait to do it. I kind of see myself in a small little place like Rockwood, <laughs> like playing. But um, no, my plans for doing it are really based on um, just financially. I don't have, I don't have like, I don't want to ask people like to do stuff for free and blah, blah, blah. So uh, if I can't do it now, uh, you know, if I can't do it now, I will do it later. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll see what happens. But the, the main thing about all the original stuff I write is that I write it because it's just like, I want to, I want to hear it like, uh, I want to hear it like, happen you know and i want it just to like i, I it's entertaining to me so mm -hmm. when i get an idea in my head i'm like this this is funny or this is cool and so i'll either write it on paper to be recorded later and i do the idea onto a, a daw of your choice you know mm -hmm. and um and then i wind up being like i gotta flush this out and finish it you know but right now i'm just trying to do as much as that as possible because I have too much stuff that's just sitting on a hard drive. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of songs that you've started and... Yeah, uh -huh. and the reason why I haven't finished it is because, I don't know, I've been maybe too perfectionist about it. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I, you know, I wish I had real drums instead of this drum machine. And so I'll be like, well, who am I going to get to do that? And then it'll stop me because I have like 20 other songs I'm thinking about, you know? So... So instead of being like, who am I going to get to do that? And will they do it for this amount of money? And do they have a studio? And where can I, you know, then I'm just going to go with what I have and make it as best as I can do it mm -hmm. and just be like, who cares? I'll just run on to the next song. I think yeah. that's a real valid point because I think a lot of people get stuck in that. It's like, well, yeah. I want to finish this record because I, I have to wait until I can afford a really expensive microphone or until I have this piece of gear yeah. or whatever. And and it's um, it's a trap we all get caught in sometimes and the important thing is that you're creating art and you get your art out there yes exactly people in the end care less if you're running through 
a vintage Neumann U47 mm-hmm. if the music is cool and you're expressing yeah. your ideas. So it's like, use what's around you, right? Yeah, you have, you have to use what's around me. And I yeah. don't have much around me, but I do have, you know, just my ideas yeah. and, and my ears to try to make the stuff sound good to me, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would never read that from your music. You know, I think it's like what you probably see is not having a lot around you not knowing that I never would guess I would all of it sounds like choices to me and yeah. they're cool choices and it's interesting music and yeah. it's creative so I don't read it that way and also because cool. the show it's like you I mean it is everything does really come down to the ideas and the composing right yeah. but then by sometimes your limitations are are a plus sometimes because that yeah. becomes a sound you know definitely uh you know how it is we've got we've got endless tracks on the digital yeah yeah, yeah, I we used can to never make stop my records on the, Yeah, my first record is all four track, 2002. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. People people who, who bought that, like, still tell me that they love that record, you know. And nobody's mm-hmm. saying, like, it sounds hissy and, right. and terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it sounds terrible. But, like, people don't say that to me. They're, yeah, they're like, I love that song, Ma. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, now, I mean, people go to great lengths to get that hissy, noisy sound. So it's like, is it an aesthetic? Is it a choice? Was it limitation? It's like, it kind of just doesn't matter as long as like the music is good, right? But we'll always hear those things. Yeah. Like, oh, I wish I had this. And I wish, Uh you know, I had one more take or, you know. Yeah. But yeah, um, that's interesting. I, um, it's interesting to me, uh, seeing not all your life story, but one thing that's always, stuck out to me about your playing is you have always been yourself. I've never been around you or heard you play or heard you put out anything that wasn't, uh, I feel like completely genuine to who you are. And I feel like that's interesting because I feel like a lot of guitar players or musicians, we get caught in this world of, of trying to get X gig or whatever, or trying to get whatever the perception is of success or fame or whatever. And they bend in a lot of ways, what they do, or you almost don't really know who they really are yeah. and, um, and almost camouflage themselves in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think it's um, a cool testament to staying yourself. You've, you've done a lot of wonderful gigs and worked with a lot of really great creative people and managed to stay creative yourself, but managed to always kind of keep your identity as a player. Was that a conscious decision or were there people in your life yeah. that help you keep on that track? Or? I think it's a conscious thing. I, I, I am very aware of uh, the kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it. What, what is it called? Conformity that could happen in a group. You know, one person likes, announces that he likes this group and then the other person, oh, I like them too. You know, and, you know, I might not, I'll just, if I don't like that group, I don't say, like, I don't like them. I'll just be like, all right. Yeah. They like them. I'm not going to be like, I don't like them. But, like, it's in my head. I want to stay, I want to stay true to myself. Mm-hmm. And um, and if, say, somebody says, oh, I, you know, I hate this and that, and I like that, I don't say anything either. Mm-hmm. But I still want to, you know, I'm not going to hide that influence, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to be aware of it. So I'm aware of like who I am and what I like, you know, and I'll sneak it in there. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of like how I do it. Uh (laughs) I sneak in in myself, you know? 
Yeah, and sometimes it's like when people say they hate things, I notice it's like they hate the aesthetic. They don't often hate the yeah. actual, like what's actually really happening there. It's more yeah. like the facade of, of, of what they're, you know, it's like. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. So I try to like, um, and it's hard for me to say, but like I, I actually do think to myself how just be my, I always, I often say to myself in my head, you know, just, just be yourself, you know, just do what you do or what you want to do. Do you feel like you've managed to do that even on some of the higher pressure or I'd say with the more notoriety gigs? I, I you know, you got to sneak it in. Like uh -huh. you have to like, you know, like a little bit at a time, like put yourself out there or, you know, do, yeah, I might be on a gig where I, I, I'm playing like, not really. I know that I'm not playing like what I would normally play or what I want to play. And so you have to kind of start trying, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden you're like, you throw in this thing and you see if anybody, <laughs> anybody gets upset, Uh huh. <laughs> you know, you get the side eye or anything, you get side eye or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, often like when you're yourself, I mean, I don't know about everybody, but for me, I've been lucky where, you know, you're trying these things and you're trying to be, you know, riding the line of not doing something too out there or to yourself. You know, I don't know what that means, but somebody might say to you, I like what you're playing. You could just play whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And that's happened to me, luckily, uh, several times where somebody has said to me, like, you just play whatever you want. We're not worried about it. Like, you know, they give me the free reign to be myself. Mm -hmm. And that's like the best thing you could, that's the best thing. Mm -hmm. um, when a group or a group leader says like, they want you to be you. Yeah. That's like, they're yeah, like I heard what right? you can do. I like everything you're doing and you know that you're doing what you, and then you, you could just take it even further, you know? Right. Right. Cause they, they see something that they, they like, you know? Yeah. They haven't been telling you what to do, but you're doing it. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So that's the best thing. Yeah, that's the magic when that happens because you could really, the, the freedom to be yourself in an environment like that that is also accepting of that yeah. is kind of like the perfect storm. Yeah. You know? Some of my favorite gigs, which is strange to say, but um, I mean, there's I have a lot of favorite gigs, but a couple of my favorite gigs were gigs where I got up on stage and did the gig without ever hearing the music. Oh, and I cool. just played with people and did a set. And it was um, like singer-songwriter music, so it wasn't like we were dealing with a lot of yeah. times, except for maybe bars of two and four here mm -hmm. and there, but two, four. But um, but there was something because there were no expectations about yes, it. Yes, exactly. And so everybody really did their thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the results were actually quite exciting yeah. because those expectations were there and, and there was no way to regulate how yes. much you weren't allowed or, or yes, should be that's yourself. The, that and, that sounds like the perfect thing like when yeah. somebody i'll oh, just come and play with us you know yeah. that you're going to play like yourself or whatever you're going to want yeah you know because they're already saying to you just come and play with us yeah totally yeah. yeah and if it's like if you're dealing with an artist who writes their own music and stuff and being in that moment when yeah. they're them being vulnerable more so than being like in a, a wedding band or something but like in a in a situation like that where people are more vulnerable or telling their stories or whatever and you can weave in that way and there's that freedom like it could really be um like a rush, you know, yeah. you don't even know what you're going to play. And yeah. so um, if you trust yourself and trust everybody, it, it kinda, it'd yeah. be pretty amazing. It seems like such a scary thing to do, but um, it, yeah. you know, I don't know that I would do that on a, you know, 
a, a gig that playing Mahavinishni music or something, but um, but music that you can do that with that can be pretty invigorating. Yeah, if somebody you know? says to you like, "Oh, play, come sit on with us, sit, sit in with us on this Mahavishnu stuff," you yeah. got it. That's a red flag. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> can you can be like, "All right, well, they, they they're not going to expect me to like, you know, know everything. They're going to be like, just do what you do." Or thank you for joining me my very first podcast interview awesome i'll edit this down to a 30 second clip <laughs> <laughs> yeah just take all the worst parts yeah and put them together yeah, i'm just gonna like take certain words and make you say things that you oh, didn't say see? yeah you had me going on and on yeah i wanted to make sure i got every you variation got me talking about my family and all exactly yeah yeah we're gonna, we're gonna start all kind of kind of turf wars great oh, sounds good great like how much money I make and all that stuff. You know, oh, like exactly. Yeah. Tons of money. Yeah. Everybody's been like, you got paid more than me on that gig. <laughs> People actually yeah, go dude. behind, go to the artist behind your back and be like, I thought you were paying me more than Robbie. You know? I know. Imagine this comes out. And it's just like a bunch of lies. Yeah. That'd be great. Actually, I lied about everything tonight. Thank you for joining me for episode 16 of Anatomy of Tone. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave me a comment or feedback rating on Apple or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It would help. If you're interested in music composition, music theory, guitar, bass drum lessons, recording engineering lessons, I'm also available for that. Or if you're looking for somebody to play on your record, I also license a lot of music for film and TV. So if you happen to be looking for somebody to score, I'm available for that as well. I hope everybody has a great week and I'll see you next time. Going to leave you with an original composition from Robbie called 33 in Buffalo. Earlier in the podcast, as I was talking about Robbie, you heard a composition also from him underneath called Cupcake. Mm -hmm.